Today we are embarking on a sermon series that I think is going to be a very important sermon series. Um, it, it was sort of born out of two things. One is my own personal interest in what's going on in our culture and what the future of the church is. Uh, in fact, I, I read a lot about this, I'm very interested in it, and I've just been accepted recently, right before Christmas, to a Doctor of Ministry program through a, a school out in Oregon. It's, it's primarily online, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not trying to get anybody nervous here. But the focus of the program is on future studies. It's on what's going on in our culture and what that means for the church moving into the future. And so this is something I'm very passionate about. It's something that my dad has also been interested in. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my dad announced his retirement. He's going to be retiring as a minister this September. And one of the things we've always said was that we wanted to do a sermon series simultaneously. So that we were kind of preaching on the same thing and we could talk and share a lot with one another. And so he's embarking on this same sermon series this morning in the two little churches that he pastors. Um, he's preaching them very different than I do. But it has made for some great conversation and, and uh, um, I think going to be important for his churches too as we all wrestle with the changes that are going on in the world and the changes that we're seeing in the church today. My text this morning is not what it says in the bulletin. It is uh, a text from Psalm 107. I changed my mind later in the week. Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, and the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Pastor Mark Driscoll, who's a pastor that I listen to and read a lot of, tells the story of being in high school and uh, Pastor Driscoll was primarily a baseball player and um, kind of one of the popular guys. But in high school, baseball became less popular and football became more popular. So to, to keep up with times, he joined the football team. And because he had a good arm for baseball, he ended up playing some quarterback. But there was one particular game where he, he dropped back in the pocket as a quarterback and he got hit by two guys, one high and one low. And it sort of flipped him over and threw him down to the ground. And he kind of slowly got up and was a little bit shaken. And he, he walked over to the bench and sat down and kind of, oh, what's, you know. And a coach came over to him and said, son, are you all right? And he said, you know, yeah, I, I, think, I think I'm all right. I think I got this together. And the coach said, you're on the wrong bench. And he looked around and realized that all the other football players were wearing a different jersey than he was. 
What Pastor Mark had experienced is a standing knockout. Sometimes when you get knocked out, you just have cold. But there's other times where you get a standing knockout, where your brain starts to shut down, you're not quite sure where you are, but you're still a little bit awake and alert and kind of reeling. Um, you get the same kind of feeling if you've ever gone through a heavy loss, where you're kind of there, but you're, you're more of a ghost, just kind of going through the motions. I think the church today is going through a little bit of a standing knockout. By church, I don't just mean this church. I'm going to try to talk more generally about the church, particularly in America, but generally in the West. Is going through a standing knockout where the world has sort of changed, right? And it kind of snuck up on us, and we're all reeling to understand it. I mean, how many of you can remember when these church pews were filled? When it was assumed that you went to church. So instead of asking people if they went to church, you ask them what church they went to. How many of you can remember when things were closed on Sunday? Now it's odd, now it's odd for those businesses that aren't. Chick-fil-A is now the odd one out, not the normal one. Even the YMCA is open this afternoon, though they're closed in the morning. How many of you remember when the church was more the center of a person's social life? Where your friends were your church friends? Now we don't hang out with each other very much away from this place. How many remember when you could say you were a Christian and went to church without being looked at funny? Even people who didn't go to church knew about church. They had probably gone there some. They generally understood the, the nature of the Christian faith at least a little bit. We have many, many people that have never, ever set foot in a church and have no idea what Christianity is all about except for the Christians that they've seen on TV. And unfortunately for us, the ones that make it to TV are not the normal ones. Even people who didn't go to church generally have the same kind of understanding about right and wrong that we do. There was a general Judeo-Christian value that people understood. Pastors were highly esteemed members of the community. Questions about the definition of marriage, the reliability of the Bible, and Jesus being the only way to God were assumed instead of being questioned all the time. The world is changing. The church is shrinking and closing in many places. The fastest growing religious community in America today are the nuns. And I don't mean like the Catholic ones. Not N-U-N. I'm talking N-O-N-E-S. People who on a religious survey, when they're asked what is their religious affiliation, the fastest growing population in America today are people that claim none. It used to be you at least claimed something, right? It used to be that you couldn't get a job, you couldn't have high standing in the community unless you were a part of some kind of church. I, I was reading not too long ago about the big debate that happened when JFK was going to be president. And there was this shock of, could we have a Catholic president? That discussion is way in the past, right? People today claim to be spiritual, but not religious. People want to try to connect with God, but they don't want to come here and do it. And they don't want to find, have some kind of structure or community influence to it. Younger generations are, for the most part, not going to church. Many of you have children and grandchildren that have simply opted out of this faith that has meant so much to you. It's easy to look at those that are leaving and ignoring the church and think, what pagans? How bad are they? 
But I don't think it's that simple. And I don't know that it's necessarily all that bad. The world is just moving. And the church has not moved along with it. The reality though is, and I want you to really hear this from me as I talk about this, facts are our friends. We can't live in a pretend world where we don't know what's really going on. Denial does not normally help anyone in the long run. Facts are our friends. We need to start dealing with the reality of the world that we live in. And so I want to talk about that world. Today I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction and over the next couple weeks I'm going to really dive into some of these things. I'm going to try not to pick on Westminster in particular. Actually, I think there's a lot of things we're doing well here. Uh, and I hope that that will come out in some of the things that I say. I think that we are living in a world that is a perfect storm. You know about perfect storms? Have you ever seen the movie The Perfect Storm? Sometimes what happens is we get, we get storms and you get different waves of storms. You get different storms in the area. Sometimes storms come together. And their combined effect has a huge, huge uh, interaction with the weather. It just makes the weather so much worse because it's a perfect storm. I think we're living in a time that's a perfect storm. I think there's three storms, three storms that are really affecting us, but their combined effect is so much worse. I'm going to give you a brief intro here, but these are my next three sermons. So we're going to talk about these over the coming weeks. First, I think, is the hurricane of post-Christendom. The hurricane of post-Christendom. Basically, for a long time, we lived in what we called Christendom, which was where, as Christians, we basically had the home field advantage. Everybody generally had a Judeo-Christian value. Christian was the dominant force in the discussions in the, in the public square. But in reality, in the last 40, 50 years, that has declined. And we've lost that home field advantage. People are now choosing to have something other than Christian. In fact, I think it may be flipping to the point where Christians are starting to feel animosity. Where it's harder for us to admit that we're Christians. It's, hard, it's, it's often, often culture is actually against us instead of really being for us as Christians. Christians are marginal at best and persecuted at worst. <coughs> Along with that, there's a change in the definition of tolerance. Tolerance used to mean you could believe what you wanted to believe and I could believe what I wanted to believe. Uh, as long as we weren't impacting each other, that was okay. Tolerance now today means that you have to accept whatever I want to believe. It's a very different definition of tolerance. It's not enough that I can let you believe whatever you want to, but I'm not even allowed to say you're wrong anymore. That's a totally different mindset. And this hurricane of post-Christendom is really having an impact on the church. Because the church doesn't know how to be in the margins. The church doesn't know how to be anything but a civil religion. We're having to rediscover what it meant to be a church when we were persecuted and when we were the minority. The second storm, I think, is the tsunami of postmodernism. Basically, there was a modern worldview stemming from the 1500s where logic was most important, people were basically good, science could make a better world, everything could be broken down to its component parts and understood. There have been some great things that have come out of that, like better health care. You know, if you had had some of the things we just prayed about 100 years ago, 200 years ago, that would be a death sentence. 
now we at least have a chance. And part of it's because in, in, after this mo- in these modern times, we've taken the body and broken it down into its component parts. We understand anatomy. We start to understand how things connect. We have better health care, better food, other advancements like traveling. But the fact of the matter is we also have more effective means of hurting, abusing, and killing one another. Look at the last century. World wars, depression, poverty, the Cold War, 9-11. What we've understood is that, that just because we all get smarter and technology advances doesn't mean people get any better. And so the modern viewpoint is, has failed. It has failed, and the world is moving past it to a postmodern view, a view that is suspicious of grand truths, a view where you can believe what you want to believe, where it's more important what we say as a group than what the truth actually is. The tsunami of postmodernism is having a great deal of impact on the church today. Finally, I think the blizzard of post-enlightenment. This is a, a, a variation on this theme of postmodern, making it a little more specific. But part of this whole mindset of postmodernism came out of the Enlightenment, where you could logically think things through. But there's a growing change in the way people think. If you've ever tried to talk to people and you try to make a logical argument and they don't follow it or they don't want to believe it, we have moved from the encyclopedia where the truth was on the page written by the experts to Wikipedia, which is an online source where anybody can write. And it doesn't, the truth gets worked out as we comment on each other's work. It's a different way of thinking. And it has profound impacts for the Christian truth claims of the last 500 years. What does it mean for evangelism? When people are willing to believe that multiple religions are the same. What does it mean for the sermon? What does it mean for worship? For Bible study? Is there a place for the Bible in a post-enlightenment world. See, these three storms, the hurricane of post-Christendom, the tsunami of post-modernism, and the blizzard of post-enlightenment, we've all faced these issues before in church history, but never like this, never in this perfect storm, all at the same time, and the church is really struggling to know what to do. The church has flat out not kept up. I think part of what's happened is, as the rest of the world around us has changed, we have clung to the church as the one place that won't change. And we've kept our church basically looking like it did about 50 years ago. Because suddenly our relatives are moving out of town instead of staying in town. Suddenly we can't have a career that stays for our entire life, or a job that stays for our entire life. Suddenly the world is so different. At least the church... I can come in here on Sunday morning and worship basically the same way that my grandparents did. But it hasn't worked, has it? It's kept us safe, but it hasn't really worked for our kids and our grandkids, has it? As many of them have moved away from the church, have seen it as just not important to the world that they live in. In the church, we talk about counting noses and nickels. Noses and nickels, people in the pew, and and money in the plate. And that has been a typical marker for the church. And the church today, generally, is not doing so well in that. 
We have fewer and fewer people coming to church. Many who used to come just because it was socially expected, it's not socially expected anymore, so they're not coming. Young people are just opting out. And in all these changes, one of the things that's changed too is the, the debt that we carry. Younger families just don't have the same kind of uh, disposable income that previous generations have because they don't save money. They spend money that they don't yet have. And so we find giving is a problem. Now there are some churches that have tried to become young and hip. We could try that strategy. We could put chairs in here, have fancy coffee machines, drums and electric guitars. And... But you know what we're finding? Those churches are starting to decline now too. We used to claim that the conservative churches are the ones that are sticking around. It's these crazy liberal churches that are declining. But you know what? That's not proving true in the end either. Because these storms are so radically changing our world that the church is going to have to radically change as well. See, what's happened is, as the world has sped up, the church has held on. And so the gap between where we should be and where we are has only grown more distant over time. And this puts the church in a very difficult position. The church has been the one alamo for us to cling to that the world is not changing. But the reality is that the world is changing. So that you know this is not just a problem for the church. Um, I have read reports of the same kind of phenomenon happening in Islam here in the West, in uh, Judaism uh, in the West. We see this in politics, right? I don't remember a time where politics were ever so divided, where, um, where politicians were ever so into their own self-survival. Um, whether you're on the right or the left, it, it's just gotten bad. We have seen these times of rapid growth throughout history, but I'm telling you, I don't think it's ever been as radical a change as we've seen today. We are totally changing the operating system on which life happens. And Western Christians have moved from the center to the periphery. By the way, this is not true all over the world either. In Africa and in a lot of parts of Asia, we're seeing the opposite happen, where Christianity is becoming the norm in Africa. It's becoming the center. It's becoming Christendom. We're reversing places is what's happening. Please note this is not the first time this has happened in history either. About every 500 years the church, the, the world does this. And the church has to follow. And then whatever church is on deck at that time tends to set the stage for the next 500 years. What was 500 years ago? The Reformation. 500 years before that, the Great Schism. Which is where the, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church split. Major, major technological advances in every single one of these. About 500 is right when the Roman Empire is really coming to its close, right when the church is kind of shifting. What, what about um, 2,000 years ago? Jesus comes, the birth of Christianity. Judaism totally changes from a, uh, um, a synagogue ba- uh, to a uh, temple-based religion to a rabbi-based religion. I mean, you can go back every 500 years. 
And uh, what, what historians, I love what historian Phyllis Tickle says about these cycles. They say whenever these things happen, the church basically has to have a rummage sale. I love this metaphor. The church is a lot like your house. How many of you have at least one room in your house that's just full of stuff that you avoid going to because you know, right? Some of you have more than one room. Right? I know people that build barns so they can have more rooms of stuff. If you haven't moved in a while, it gets really bad, doesn't it? So eventually you've got to go through and you've you got to look at all this stuff that was a good idea at the time. Like someday I'm going to go through these clothes. Okay, these are from the 80s. I probably should have already gone through these, right? Someday I'm going to refinish this desk. And now I can't even get to it because of all the stuff that's in front of it. Eventually you got to go through and you got to clean up. Or you just die and leave it to your relatives, right? It's nice if you move every once in a while because then you got to go through it. The church hasn't moved in a while. That's the reality. And we have really lost touch with why we do a lot of the things that we do. Why we are who we are as a church. And so as a church, we're going to have to, to move into the future, we're going to have to do a little bit of a rummage sale. I'm very intentional about this at this church, by the way. One of the things you hear me do a lot is talk about why we do the things we do. And I ask at meetings a lot, why do we do that? Why? Because I, I understand in the future that the church is going to have to make some decisions about what we throw out and what we keep. And the only way we're going to do that is if we remember why we had the things in the first place. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a lot of work. And so over the next four weeks, I'm going to lay out in sermons these three storms. And then I'm going to, at the end, propose what I think the future of the church may look like. And so I, I would encourage you to be here, and if you're not here, to pick up the sermons online. Because I think they're going to be really important. I want to leave you with two things today. I want to leave you today with a sense of urgency but also a sense of trust. A sense of urgency. I don't think we can ignore what's going on. We have to get informed. We must make a conscious effort to move the church into the future. Some things will need to change, but some things we're going to find we bring along with us. There's some stuff in the rummage sale that you're not going to want to lose. And that's okay. As long as you can express why you need it and why it's important for the future. It's going to take a lot of work to look at who we are and what we do as a church, to consider why we are what we are and why we do what we do. It's going to be work. But it's critical that we do this. I'm aware of many churches in the area, in the denomination, even in our presbytery, that are going to have to look at closing soon. Many churches that are, are having pastors that are sharing between two or three churches because no church can pay their pastor anymore. Financially, young people are in more debt. And so as we move to the next generation in our church, it's going to be harder and harder to do this financial stewardship thing. I'll say this plainly. I believe the very survival of Westminster Church is dependent on how we respond to these storms. We've got a good base. We've got some good reserves. But will there be a Westminster Church that is doing vital ministry in New Brighton 15 years from now, 20 years from now, I think we have some work to do. But I also want to say and leave you with a sense of trust. Not only is it an urgent time, but I believe we should not be panicked. 
I see a lot of opportunity for the church moving forward. I think some of this rummage sale is needed because I think it's like moving every once in a while. If you don't do it, your house gets piled up with stuff and you can't have visitors anymore. I think that this is needed. This is not just doom and gloom. It is a, an opportunity. What did that verse in Psalm 107 say? God brings the storms, right? That God sometimes stirs up the water for His purposes. And listen to these words again from the text. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, and the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. I believe that God has this under control. I believe this storm it may seem big to us. I think it is big. But it is not too big for God. I think God wants us to cling to the hope that we have that Christ has come, died, and risen for our life again. I think we have become too much of a civil religion. And we have come too much about going through the motions and not enough about the life-changing, mind-altering, relationship-jarring truth of the gospel. Perhaps you wish the church could just go back to the way things were when people just came to church. But you can't. In fact, I would suggest you buckle your seatbelts. Because I do not think the rate of change that we are seeing in our world today has any way of slowing down right now. In fact, I think it's probably going to speed up and the change is going to become the new normal. Besides, the reality is that God has called you and I to be in the church now. At this time, God could have planted you at any point, but He has you at Westminster and I at Westminster right now so that we can wrestle with these very issues. And remember that what the church in America does today will set the tone for Christianity for the next 500 years. You live in a challenging time, but it is your time. So call out to God that He may come to you in your distress and calm the storm in you, that, you may that we may navigate together what it will mean to be a church in the future. Let's pray. Lord, as we wrestle, wrestle with these issues, give us that right and proper sense of urgency, but not a sense of panic. Because we know that you are with us, that you have plans and purposes. We know that your church is not just an institution, but it is your bride. And you will protect it, and you will see it through. Help us to be faithful to your calling and your leading in this storm. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.